0: Let's take our Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 5 now. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through 14 is our text this morning. It's one of my favorite passages of Scripture in many ways. I love this passage. I hope you will too. I hope you do too already. But if you don't before today, I hope you will now. Hebrews chapter 5, and we're looking at verses 11 through 14. Concerning him, we have much to say. And he's talking here about Melchizedek, of all people. We have much to say. It's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you've come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he's an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice... Just have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Join me in prayer. Fathers, we open up your holy word as we look into the teaching, what you have for us today, Lord. We're going to look at a very challenging passage. The passage just really gets up in our face and, and speaks uh, the truth to us. And Lord, sometimes when we're given the truth, even in love, uh, we rebel and we resist. And we look for alternatives and we look for ways around it. Uh, we know, Lord, uh, in our hearts always, that's always a bad choice. It's always a sinful choice. That your word speaks to us both to honor you and for our own good. And the truth that you have here today would change in, in radical ways and transform the lives of, of all of us as we take it seriously this morning. Lord, I pray today that you would open up each heart and each life to where they are to receive the truth of your word. And to grow as you intend, in Jesus' name, Amen. Uh, everybody here knows Peter Pan. You've, you've all seen, read the books, and seen the movies and whatnot. Uh, Peter Pan is a story about a boy who never wanted to grow up. Uh, he had seen what the adult life the author had, apparently, or the Peter Pan had, and he didn't want anything to do with it. He wanted to stay a little boy the rest of his life. It's worth pointing out that the person who wrote this book or this story was a was an adult. Uh, because only adults would write a story like this, because children, by nature, very rarely want to stay children. By nature, children want to grow up. Uh, You tell a three-year-old that they're a baby, call them a baby, and they'll get mad at you. I'm not a baby. Who are you calling a baby? Tell an adolescent or a teenager that you're living the best years of your life. They'll not only look at you and like you're crazy, they'll turn to their phone and text all their friends and tell them you're crazy because they don't believe that. Uh, I had a, one of my granddaughters, I was uh, talking to them uh, at one point and saying that I was calling them baby doll. They said, you're my baby doll, you know. Well, one day this baby doll turned to me and said, I'm not a baby doll. I said, well, what do you mean? Well, I'm not a baby and I'm not a doll. So basically knock it off. So that was, that was a hard time in my life, but uh, uh, kids don't want to be kids, kids don't want to be babies, they want to grow up, that's just natural, and uh, the, only, only the people who wish for childhood uh, are the adults who are disappointed with their adulthood, and imagine a time, remember a time when they were growing up, when they were children, uh, in which life was so much more idyllic and wonderful and beautiful, and uh, most likely it may not have been as good as they remembered. Not only do we have fuzzy math, we have fuzzy memories. And quite often it was not as wonderful as we remember. But even if it was, even if it was, we cannot go back. God has designed uh, the world, His whole world system. He's designed human beings that we continue to progress on. We grow up. We get older. We move forward. We can't stagnate in any particular time in our lives. That's the way God has designed it, and that's the way that it is. In this section of Scripture that we're looking at today, we were seeing that God has designed us as Christians to grow up. Uh, he is not, He's not willing to leave us in stagnant states. He's not willing to leave us in babyhood. He wants us to press on and grow up. And this passage is a straightforward, in-your-face, almost harsh uh, challenge. To all of us. Uh, Some people are challenged and step up to something like this. When they're challenged to do something, they they say, I want to be that person. I want to step up. Other people get offended. They get their backs up and they refuse to move forward. And I'm going to leave that to you today. The writer of this passage of Scripture didn't care what his audience was going to do in that sense. He he knows what they should do. He wants them to do it. But it was up to them what they're going to do with it. And so it's not going to stop him from teaching the truth. Not going to stop him from saying what he needs to say, whatever their response might be. And so as he talks to them about spiritual maturity, he wants them to no longer be Peter Pan Christians. Uh, apparently, there were, some of them are like that in this church. And of course, if you just observe America today, uh, the, so many, many of uh, people that are probably Christians, many of them, Our Peter Pan Christians, they've never grown up, they've never moved forward. Our churches are flooded with Peter Pan Christians. Our country is flooded with Peter Pan churches who are very content with leaving us exactly where we are in our spiritual immaturity and babyhood. God is not content with that. And so he places this powerful passage of Scripture in his word to challenge us to move forward. And he identifies for us two different kinds of Christians here. Uh, first of all, there is the Im- immature Christian, the baby Christian. And there's two characteristics that are outstanding about baby Christians. In verse 11, they have a hearing disorder. So using modern lingo, they have a hearing disorder. Concerning him, we have much to say. It's hard to explain that you become dull of hearing. Uh, we can sense the author is really disappointed with this church. They've had the best of everything they've had the best teachers, they've, had the, uh, the, the, they've even had the apostles who in chapter 2 had done apparently miracles and wonders among them that some of them had seen, that had wonderful fellowship, that had the, the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives, and so why is it that they're still babies? Why is it that so many of them had never grown up? He says it's time for you now to uh, begin to understand the deeper things, the richer things of, of the Word of God and of, of the Christian life. And in particular, he wants to talk about Melchizedek. Now, I know you're excited about Melchizedek. Everybody is. Uh, hard, as I mentioned last week, the only book in the New Testament that even mentions him is right here. And he becomes a central feature of the whole book. And the author is saying, if you do not understand... The priesthood of Jesus Christ according to the order of Melchizedek. If you don't understand that, you will never progress in a Christian life. What a powerful idea. So he's going to spend a lot of time talking about that. They do not understand the priestly ministry of Jesus. And they need to. By now he said you should have, but you don't. Something's gone wrong after all these years and all these advantages that people had not grown up. And actually... uh, that's not true. Actually, they had regressed, as we will see. At one point, apparently, some of them had, had moved forward for the Lord. They were walking with the Lord. Matter of fact, later in the book, we find some of them had been persecuted very heavily. Some of their all their property had been taken away for the, for the cause of Christ. They had stood for the Lord. Some of them had done that. And yet now he writes to them and he's saying something's gone wrong. There's a wrong turn that's been taken here somehow. What has happened to you folks? He says in this verse 11, he says, I have much to say, but it's hard to explain because you have become dull of hearing. Look at the word become. That's the idea of something that has happened. There was a point in time when they started making a decision or decisions in which they decided they'd had enough. They didn't desire to go forward. They they were stuck right there. They'd made that choice. And now, as a result of that, they had become, in time, dull of hearing. It happened over time. Uh, The word dull means lazy, sluggish, lethargic. That's what they are in a Christian life. How do you like to be described that way? Uh, I hope that's not true of too many people here, but it might be. You're just dull. I mean, you're not, you're not a bad person. You don't do horrible things. Uh, you come to church and so forth, but, but uh, you're just kind of dull. You're, you're lazy. I mean, you're, you're sick of it, really. I mean, it's, it's, you're just going through the routine, and that's enough. You don't want any more. And that's what these people had become. Somewhere along the line, they'd lost their enthusiasm. They'd had it. So some of you might identify with that. Some of them had had it, and they've lost it. They've lost their desire to grow. They've lost their excitement for the Christian life. They've lost their passion and love for Jesus. They have become sluggish. And when a person becomes that way, it's almost impossible to teach them biblical truth. And that's because they have selective hearing. You ever been accused of that? Yes. (laughs) You're speaking for us all. If you're married, you've been accused of selective hearing. Maybe not in those words, but your wife or your husband has said to you, do you ever listen to me? I told you that yesterday. Why don't you hear me? We have selective hearing. And what's that mean? That means that we tune out the things we don't want to hear. Right? And we tune in the things we want to hear. Uh, these people have selected hearing. Their interest dictates what they want to hear. And they were not interested in the things of God, not to any, not to, not to any real degree. So a very interesting thing, during the Great Awakening, you remember the Great Awakening in history in the 1700s, the middle 1700s, was one of the most powerful movements of God's spirit upon God's people uh, since the Reformation, perhaps the greatest movement since the Reformation. And it took place uh, mostly in America and England, And during that time, the Lord brought many, many, many people to Christ. He deepened the theological interest, the interest in Scripture. Churches were flooded with people. It was one of the greatest spiritual times in the history of this country, perhaps the greatest spiritual time ever. An interesting thing took place at that time. People became interested in shorthand. Now, some of you old-timers, anybody over 35, I guess, uh, some of you have learned shorthand. How many of you actually know shorthand? Can I have a... It's all six of you. Thank you. There's one on the hot top. Okay, thank you. You can stop waving now. You're going to knock your arm off. Okay. All right. A few of you know shorthand. Shorthand was before, you know, we had all these recorders and all the other stuff we have today. So people had to write shorthand if they wanted to go real quick and catch the messages. Shorthand became so popular during the mid-1700s because people wanted to write down every word these preachers were preaching. They were that interesting. Some people run around with a portable... Now, remember, this was before ink pens. Now, I've got stains on my shirt from the ink pens. but, But they had portable ink wells that they carried with them and a quill over their ears so that if they heard a sermon, some of them were outdoors and some in the church, they could pull out their instruments and write down every word as quickly as they can. And they were so accurate that a lot of these sermons, many of these sermons, were published a day or two later in the newspapers, word for word. Can you imagine that? Could you imagine somebody publishing my sermon today in the newspaper or some kind of feed like that and people actually reading it? But people did at that time because they were interested in the Word of God. What What a cool thing to think about. But these Christians were not... And they never, because they had never grown, they could care less. No notes being taken. Uh, Nobody intentionally, earnestly uh, listening to what was being said. They had reverted back to children babyhood. They had gone back to the nursery. They had become spiritually deaf. Now here's a second characteristic. They had had an eating disorder as well. In verse 12 it says this, For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God and you've come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness for he is an infant. All these years of being a a Christian, he says, you you ought to now be teachers of the word of God and you're not. Uh, He's not saying that every one of them should be formal teachers like doing something like I'm doing here. Are our Sunday school teachers. Not everybody's gifted to do that. We know that. But everybody should be teaching somebody about the Word of God. Scripture is pretty clear about that. For example, in uh, Ephesians 6 4, it says, Fathers, instruct your children in the way of the Lord. Fathers should be teaching their children, mothers should too. Uh, it says in Titus chapter 2 that older women should be teaching and instructing younger women in the ways of God and living out life for Him. Elders, according to Titus one nine, are to teach the congregation, and everybody. Second Timothy chapter two verse two, every faithful believer is to be looking for other faithful believers to teach and instruct them, so that that second group can pass that on to the next group, passing it right on down the line. Every one of us are called to instruct, to teach other people about the things of God. This church wasn't doing it. They ought to be teachers by now. But they have become uh, perfectly content with not being teachers at all. The Christian faith, friends, look, if you don't know anything about world religions or other religions, the Christian faith is absolutely unique. It is an intellectual, theological faith. No other religion is like that. Uh, you don't find Hindus and Buddhists and, and uh, anybody, uh, animists or anybody else, sitting down with reams of books studying the Word of God together and going through theology. You don't find that. But Christianity is flooded with all these types of things as we study the Word of God together. It's an it's a intellectual faith, it's not merely mysticism like most religions are. But someone has said recently that the greatest scandal of the church is Christians without Christian minds. Christians who don't think are Christians. And don't be duped by anybody that says on Facebook or Twitter or any place else you run into. Don't be duped by anyone who says, I don't want to study truth and doctrine. I just want to experience God. That's a non-starter. That's that's a ridiculous statement. You cannot understand and experience someone you do not know. You cannot know him if you don't know him through the word of God. In verse 12, again, he's talking to the people he's addressing. He says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. What do they need now? Because they have not progressed, they need to go back to spiritual Sunday school and be taught all over again the elementary principles of the oracles of God. The elementary principles are the, in, in grammar, would be the ABCs, it would be the alphabet. They need to go back and, and be taught again the alphabet of the Word of God, the ABCs. In Greek philosophy, they believe, according to Aristotle, that all matter was made up of four things, four, four parts, and that was earth, water, air, and fire. The whole universe was made up of those four elements, and they called those the elementary principles. Now, he says here that you need to be taught the elementary principles, but not of the world system. Not of the philosophy of Aristotle, not, not, of the, not of grammar school, but of the oracles of God. They have regressed, and they've gone back on their growth in Him, and they need to go now to the children's department of their church and be taught once again the ABCs. In any good church, uh, we're desiring to teach children the principles, the basics, the foundations of the Christian faith. In our church, we start in toddlers. We'll work right on up through all ages, teaching them things appropriate to their age. With little children, they, they can learn some things. They can't learn what, much about Melchizedek, but they can learn a great deal about the love of Christ. They can know that the Bible is true. They can know that God is real. They can even know that Jesus died on the cross for their sins. They can know these things. We can teach these things in elementary ways, they can memorize. As they get a little older, children are so much better at memorizing than adults are. Their little minds still have a lot of absorption. Their little brain, our, our brains are all full of this junk, and theirs aren't yet. So they can absorb a lot of stuff, and they can understand and memorize the Scriptures. In our toddler department, you know, and I have had the occasion to be in there. Apparently, I have uh, broken the rules, and they no longer allow me in there. So I haven't been in there lately, but when I've been in there before helping out, uh, they do little songs and things that just kind of reinforce the truth. One of my favorites is a little song that I like the Bible. Our little kids just read the, sing that song, I like the Bible, I like the Bible, I read it and I do it, I read it and I do it. And at the very end, after they one more time say, I like the Bible, they all jump up and say, Bible! Maybe that's why they won't let me in there, I can't jump up anymore. But Bible! What a sweet thing that our little bitty two-year-olds and three-year-olds can leap up and say, I like the Bible, and I read it, and I do it. That's wonderful. But if you're 22, and that's as far as you've ever progressed, something is seriously, seriously wrong. 20 years later, and all you can do is talk about that you like the Bible, and you read it, and you do it, and most likely you're not reading it at all. And you're not probably doing it, if that's the case. And so he's concerned here. He's concerned that these people uh, be taught, they they need the ABCs, the oracles of God. The oracles are the utterances of God. The divine utterances of God that are found in Scripture. They need to be taught those things all over again. But this indictment runs deeper. Look at verse 12 again. After the oracles of God, you have come to need milk and not solid food. He goes further. They have become, once again, notice, you have come to need. They weren't always here. They're here now. They have digressed. They have gone backwards. And they, have a, a, they now need milk and not solid food. Now you might remember, for those that know Scripture pretty well, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, he uses the same milk metaphor in a different way. There he says, a child of God... Who is truly saved will hunger and thirst for the milk of God's word. They they hunger for it. They want it. That's one of the evidences of salvation, regeneration. You want to know what God says. You want to know his word. You hunger for the word of God. And since we're on a harsh passage, let me say if you don't, I would check your salvation. If you can go weeks at a time and not read the Word, I have to wonder, do you really know Christ? If you've you've left your Bible at church, and it's been here for four months, and you finally found it, and that's the only Bible you've got, you might want to recheck your regeneration. I'm not trying to be mean here, I'm just trying to be honest. There's a hunger for the Word of God in the heart of a true Christian. If you don't have that, something is seriously wrong. But but here he flips the metaphor and goes the other direction, a negative direction, in which he is basically saying that uh, they have they have fascinated themselves, they have stuck themselves on the milk, at best, and never progressed any further to the meat of the word of God. Then therefore they can no longer digest solid. Food, and that's a problem. That's why he's talking to them this way, because he wants to take them further, but they can't. They're not ready for it. What happens if you try to give a small baby a piece of steak? Outside of getting probably put in jail. They can't chew it. Uh, They likely will choke on it. And if they manage to swallow a piece, they're going to be sick. Their little bodies are not made for steak and solid food. A baby's not equipped for that. And baby Christians have the same problem. That's why so many Christians today, folks, are flocking to churches that entertain, that put on big shows, that deliver nice little short sermonettes. Uh, as someone said, preachers today are preaching sermonettes for Christianettes. Um, someone that was not here last Sunday said, boy, I wish I was here last Sunday because time went back and had an extra hour to preach. Now they weren't here. Right? Okay. I said, well, the ones that were here weren't so interested in me taking an extra hour, but some of you, some of you real spiritual ones, would have said, "Oh, I would like that." Okay. But here's the point: if all we're getting in the teaching of God's word is pablum, is uh, uh, genetic—I'm going to say geritol, but that's not the right word. The right word is gerbers. If that's all we're getting, then we never progress. And now now here's the problem, and and if you're you're in my field of reference, you read books and stuff on what we should do about this. People today cannot process, Christians today cannot, we're told, process the meat of God's Word. They have Twitter brains. They've been, they've been spending all their time looking at TikTok videos and, and uh, influencers who know nothing but influence people, and their whole world is made up of this kind of, of pablum, this junk, They're They're junk, junk food brains, Twitter brains, I like that word, I made it up. Uh, so what's a solution? Well, the solution we're being told in many circles is play to the field you got. Give them the pablum. Give them the Gerbers. Give them the, the, the weak stuff. Entertain them to death. Hire musicians. Have huge videos. Do all you can. Dress up like uh, critters from movies. Show up at, at the church and be, be taught baby stuff forever because they can't digest anything any deeper. That's one approach, and it is the most popular approach in America by far and away. What is the approach of this author under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? Just the opposite. He says, when he gets done with all this, after he kind of lashes them for what their, their, their weakness and the direction they've gone, he jumps right into chapter 6 through 10 in some of the heaviest theology in the whole Bible. He says, I'm going to give this to you whether you think you can handle it or not because you need it. And if you don't get it, you'll never grow in Christ. You'll never be what God wants you to be. You'll never glorify Him. You'll never do His work. You must have the meat of God's Word. So he doesn't back off at all. He says, it's time to grow up. He doesn't say, I'm going to play to your weakness or your babyhood. It's time to grow up. And if you haven't grown up, It's time to do so now. It wasn't so much they couldn't handle it. They just couldn't. They didn't want to handle it. They didn't want to. They didn't want to think. They didn't want to dig in. They didn't have an appetite for the things of God and the Word of God. You know, one of the evidence of being sick is we lose our appetite. Uh, One of the things that came up with COVID over and over, people lost their taste. They lost their appetite and their taste. When we lose or don't have an appetite for the Word of God, it's an evidence that we are sick. Okay? And we got to take that seriously. It's time to move forward, he says. In verse 13, he says, For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. So if you stay in the baby food department... You're never going to go anywhere because you are unaccustomed to the word of righteousness. The word unaccustomed means you're inexperienced, you're unskilled, you're not you're not used to it. You're not accustomed to what? The word of righteousness. You're unskilled in that area. Uh, I have had I have had various skills in my life that I have totally forgotten how to use. Uh, I, I'm. Very inept mechanically in those ways. But there was a time I could do some mechanical things. There was a time I could do some carpentry things. There was a time I could do various things that I no longer know how to do because I haven't done them in 30 years. I've lost that. I even played the guitar one time. I had three chords. I was I was pretty good. I've lost all of my abilities because I no longer used them. That's what he's talking about here. They're unaccustomed. They don't use them and therefore... They have lost them. And that is to be expected because, you know, the old cliche, we are what we eat, right? If that's the case, I'm going to turn into a bag of chips one of these days. But he it, it, it says here that we need to be uh, eating the word of righteousness if we want to grow. What is the word of righteousness? Well, righteousness is uh, both doctrinal and practical. Let's start with the doctrinal. On the doctrinal level, the word of righteousness tells us this this is the gospel. This is salvation. The Lord Jesus Christ has come and died for your sins. He had taken your place. He now offers you the gift of eternal life by faith alone. You reach out. You take it as a gift. That's the word of righteousness. But that is the milk. That's the very basic is there anything more? What do you think the New Testament's about? All these things to take us into deeper things. For example, there's a, a little meat. The word of righteousness says that the Lord has taken away our sins, but He's also given us His righteousness. In Romans chapter 4, we find that, 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 our, that we're kind of like an, an accounting situation. We're not an accountant. Our sins are on the ledger God looks at those sins and says, you are condemned. You are lost. There's nothing you can do about it. You're lost. It's on the ledger. And then Jesus Christ comes and, and dies for those sins and takes them, and you come to him for salvation. He takes the sins away. They're gone. And they're gone forever. But the word of righteousness also says the Lord gives us his righteousness. So now we are righteous in the eyes of God so that we are or, fit to go to be with him for eternity that's a little more meat but let me go further just for those that have that one do you know the difference between imputed and imparted righteousness imputed righteousness means that the Lord has taken away my sin and imputed the righteousness of Christ imparted means that he has given us a righteousness so that we are holy totally holy as a person you say well I don't get that too much that is okay that is the very battleground over which the reformation was fault. That right there. Does God import, impute or impart righteousness? Does it matter? It mattered to the reformation. You wouldn't be in this room today if it didn't matter to the reformers who saw the difference because the the church at that time was teaching that you became holy at the moment of, that you were baptized, you became holy. And now you are without sin. But the next time you sin, you've got to do something to get it back because you lost it. Every time you sin in a mortal way, you have lost your salvation. And now you've got to be saved all over again. The reformer said, no, no. The Lord Jesus took away our sins once and for all and you never, once you're saved, you're always with Him and He has imputed His righteousness to you. Impartation of righteousness happens in eternity when we're with Him. Now you say, Gary, that's awful deep for a Sunday morning. Yes, it is. And we all know those things. That's what he's saying here. Does it matter that you know? It, if it didn't matter, we wouldn't have had the Reformation. We wouldn't be sitting here today. It matters. Those kinds of things. Let's look at the, the practical side, however. You can know... And I, so now I'm going to on, pick on some other people, maybe... You can know all about imparted, imputed righteousness. You can know all sorts of things about all sorts of doctrinal issues, and you can be a grump. You can be so hard to live with, and nobody wants to be around you. You you can be bitter and vindictive and mean-spirited. But oh, I got my theology down. I get an A plus in in the Biblical Training Institute every time we have a class. But I can't. Nobody can stand me. What's wrong? Uh, I'll tell you what's wrong. You have not grown accustomed to the true word of righteousness. You have not let the word of righteousness transform you and change you into what God wants you to be. Therefore, you have never experienced the great gift of God of holy life. In our immediate context, and we are going to hit on this uh, starting uh, soon... Uh, the immediate context is you need to know about the Melchizedekian high priesthood. Wow, that's a big word. Huh? Why? Well, hang on. Because he's going to tell them if you don't know, you can't ever walk as God wants you to walk in the Christian life. They're not ready for that. They're not ready to hear that. They're too much spiritual babies to hear that. So what does he do? Right after he gets done here, he says, okay, sit down, get out your pen. I'm going to tell you it anyway. Because you need to know it. And we're going to be jumping into that next week. At the end of verse 13, he says that they're not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he's an infant. What are some of the characteristics of infants? Well, they lack knowledge. Right? A little child will stick anything in an outlet. Right? They'll take grandma's favorite china and throw it across the room. They'll put their hand on a hot stove. They don't know things. They lack knowledge. They're, in the, they're, they're dependent on the, other, on the mercies of others. They, although they get very stubborn at times, they can't take care of themselves. They lack judgment. Proverbs says, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Uh, parents are called to drive it out of them. There's so many things that need to be taught. They lack judgment. Uh, spiritual babies, just give you some examples, they will give money to bad causes. They will hold grudges and consider it right and fair. They will split churches and think they're righteous. They will look down on the, on the immature and consider themselves holy. It's called pride. They will develop legalistic standards and think they're free. They will get their way through anger and call it righteous indignation and many, many other things. That's what a spiritual baby does. Well, is there a better way? Having having really lashed out at them, and I'm just trying to be faithful to the text, so I'm not mad at you. Not most of you, but is there a better way? Well, there sure is. And verse 14 says there's a way of maturity. You don't have to be a spiritual baby. There's a way of maturity. Verse 14 says this: But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have had their senses trained to discern good and evil. The deeper things of God in both doctrine and practice are reserved for the mature, for those who grow. Many of you have read the Chronicles of Narnia, probably the, the best known story in all the books of the Chronicles of Narnia was when Lucy, one of the main characters of the show, of the, uh, of the book, comes to Aslan, who is the uh, Christ figure in the book, representing Christ. She had not seen him in a long time. And she sees him one day, and she runs to him, and she nuzzles up against him, and she's so happy to see this big lion that represents Christ. And, and then the dialogue begins, and he says to her, Welcome, child. Aslan says, Lucy, you're bigger. That is because you're older, little one, answered he, not because you are bigger. And I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. That is profound. Every year you grow, you'll find Jesus Christ bigger. And every year you don't grow, he gets smaller and smaller in your heart and in your eyes. As we mature, everything in Christ then and, and his word becomes bigger and more wonderful for us. The question is, how do we mature? Okay, if so a lot of you might be saying, well, boy, this is convicting me. How do I grow up? How do I mature? Well, our author gives a very unexpected answer. You might expect something more spiritual in nature. Uh, might, well, walk in the Holy Spirit. Paul says that in Galatians 5, wonderful thing we need to do that all sorts of things he could have said here's what he says something very very practical he says this who because of practice has had their senses trained to discern good and evil practice that's his practical instruction for growing in Christ we may not expect that but what are we to practice the eating of solid food and godly living. The purpose of practice is to train us, right? The people that played the instruments up here today didn't just wake up this morning and say, I think I'll play the piano. I'll play the violin or, or whatever. Uh, I, they've been practicing. They spent years training. Become good at that. You don't want just wake up and do it. It took practice. And, they, and they, they wanted to do it. They did do it. And here they are serving Christ. With what they've done. It took practice. Practice trains us. Those of us, uh, or those of any of you that have tried to learn any instrument or any other kind of skill, know it takes practice. If, you, if you've played instruments like these, what was the first, what did it sound like the first day? Ask your parents. Bless the parents. I've told some p- teachers of piano, I said that you have a special place in heaven. Reserved for anybody like you who've endured dozens of students learning to play the piano. Wow, that had to be painful at times, right? And yet if they stay with it, and some will, they go on to be useful for the purpose of the Lord's glory. It took practice. The Christian who practices godly living and thinking becomes trained. In what? Well, he says in discernment. They have their senses trained to discern good and evil. That's both doctrinal and practical. On the doctrinal level, we begin to see what is true. We're not taken in by every wind of doctrine. We're not pushed around by all the isms and all the false stuff running around on the internet these days. We're not taken in by that because we know the truth. We're grounded in the truth. Some of the Hebrews uh, that, that were being written to here were in danger of going back to the old covenant of Israel. They were in danger of doctrinal error. On the other hand, there is practical everyday living he's talking about. Maturity will lead us to live a life in which we are not deceived by sin and sinners. The devil is the master deceiver. You know that, don't you? He is the one who has honed for centuries the skill of deceiving not only unbelievers but Christians. And he doesn't do it usually directly. He uses people. He uses false teachers who spread out all over the globe teaching wrong things. And the Christian who is solid in the Lord, who's practiced truth, is not deceived by sin because they know what's true. They know what's true in the Christian life. Well, what enables a Christian to obtain this kind of maturity, this kind of discernment? Two things. Here we go. Ready for the application? Number one, desire. You have to want to. You have to want to. It doesn't just happen. Uh, Some of you will leave this room today revved up and say, wow, I think I'll get ready and do something about this. And by Monday, it's gone. Do you really want to be what God wants you to be? Do you really want to know the truth that He has so faithfully given us? And do you really want to live the life that He wants you to live? It starts with desire. Another quote by C.S. Lewis, I think is probably his best known and perhaps his best quote, is this one here. Our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition. When, when infinite joy is offered us, like ignorant children who wants to go to make, go on making mud pies in the slum because they cannot imagine what it, would, what it is meant by an offer of a holiday at the sea, we're too easily pleased. Don't become content and pleased with what the world has to offer. It's like making mud pies in the slums. Don't be easily pleased. Press on to the higher glories and the depths that God wants to give us in Him. Press on. You must have that desire. And secondly, you must practice. Practice. How do you, how do, what do we mean by practicing here on that level? Well, first of all, you need to know the truth. You need to come to places like this that teaches the Word of God and you need to absorb it. Don't doze off. Don't look around. Don't be distracted by other people. If you're distracted where you sit, move. All right? Move. Get to a place where you can hear and can see and and learn. Take every advantage from, from these types of things to grow. But also there's personal study. Do you have a personal time where you look into the Word of God? If you don't, start out this week. Take the Word of God. Listen to the Wonderful Day in the Lord broadcast five minutes in the morning and right, go right from there to your own study. Take the Bible. Get you a Bible. If you don't have a, a good one, get another one and start taking notes. Just, just observe, just to interpret and, and, and apply. Take your time to enjoy the Word of God. The Word of God is wonderful when you want to hear it, when you want to read it and you want to study it. And then you might need a group of people to study with. A lot of people need, are not self-starters. They need other people. Get with somebody else like you or somebody who knows more than you or maybe somebody who knows less than you and start studying the Word of God together. Go to a restaurant or someplace and sit down and read the book of Ephesians together. Just read the book of Ephesians and talk about chapter one. Next week, chapter two. Just go through the Bible. Let the Word of God change you through practice. Eventually, your appetite for the Word of God will grow and grow and grow until you couldn't stand to be without Him for a day or two. Because it's just part of your life. It's like not eating for a day or two. You're hungry. You want to know it. You want to know his word. Another one of my granddaughters some years ago was four years old. And at the age of four, I I was looking at at her and I said, please don't grow up. You know how that is? Please don't grow up. Please stay right here. I want you to stay four years old forever. And she turned to me with Profound words. And she said, but Papa, I can't grow little. Mm. Don't grow little. Grow up. That's the passage. That's what he's saying. You'll never regret growing up. You might regret all eternity growing little. Lord, we thank you for this passage. right in our face. It really challenges us can make us mad even but Lord I pray that that's not the result I pray no one responds that way I pray each of us every one of us look into our own lives and hearts and say look I want to grow big I want to grow up I want to be all that God has determined I can be Lord I pray for that I pray here for those that that yet are not in your family who need Christ may they see Lord through all the fog and all the deception and all the lies that surround us that tell us that Christ isn't worth it that sin is wonderful, and we can live on sin, and we don't need Christ. May they see through that this morning. Open their eyes, Lord, with your spirit. Let them see, maybe for the first time in their life, that what they need is not what the world offers, but what Jesus Christ offers. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.